The following is a presentation of the WRBB Sports Podcast Network. Good evening and welcome to Matthews Arena for another edition of Northeastern Hockey on WRBB. Good evening, everybody. You're listening to WRBB 104.9 FM, your home for Husky sports. And this is Hockey East This Week. I'm your host, Ray Deer. I'm not joined by my co-host, Emma Sullivan, today, sadly. But still got some guests here with me. As usual, we have Colin Kapoor and making his WRBB radio show debut, Maddie Wasserman. Hello, everyone. We're, uh, we're happy Hello. to be here today. Dispense some Hockey East takes and Northeastern takes. We're, we're getting into playoff time now, so, you know, season's come, coming to an end. So good, good time to get my first radio appearance. Yeah, I'm, you segued right to what I was going to say. I mean, the season is coming to a close. It's gone by pretty, pretty quickly, and obviously the men still have two games in hand before playoffs, but the women, they finished their season. They're done. It's just playoffs time, and then hopefully national, a national's birth as expected. So with that in mind, we're going to talk about the women first. The women had a home-and-home against UConn this past weekend, and, you know... The first game, in retrospect, was not what I expected. Obviously, myself and Mike Puzingara were in stores. Maddie Washman was supposed to join us, but complications. And then other complications that made us miss half of that game. But we got there. We had seen on the way Northeastern had scored two already. Katie Sipper had a great opener. Maureen Murphy, of course, got on the board, as she does. And then... Early in the second, Samaria Dobson for the other Huskies was able to bring the lead within one. And then Mia Brown got another one on the board. And that's when Mike and I arrived. And we arrived welcome with a welcome goal from Morgan Wabek on the power play to bring UConn just a little bit closer. And we had to rapidly set up. And then Northeastern scored again, but... UConn scored two straight right after unanswered. And we were kind of in shock because, you know, this team started out strong in the first. They were able to easily go in with a 2-0 lead, and it seemed like they were letting UConn slowly creep back up. They were taking their foot off the gas too much, and UConn was taking advantage, which is something we don't typically see from this team. Yeah, well, I think the first thing you have to look at with this team is – like the uh, stating the obvious, Alina Mueller is not in the lineup, and it's kind of interesting because when we look forward now, you mentioned like the hockey's playoffs starting this weekend. When we project forward, how much can you really quantify what's happened over the past three weeks when you have one of the top ten players in the world, uh, the best player in the country, not on your team coming back? So yes, there were times like this UConn game that looked a bit disorganized, but I think it's like it's an interesting conversation to start off with whether it's this UConn game, whether it's the BC game and the Bean Pot, whether it was that tight Vermont game the BU game there's been a lot of these types of games where you look at this team and you're like is this really the national championship contender we're looking at but then at the same time you gotta qualify it with who wasn't there so I think projecting forward the storyline really comes back to Mueller because even when you have these types of games you you have to look at that as being one of one of the keys for what they're missing and generating more offense definitely and this is something that we on the show had talked about especially after the Vermont and BC loss we were like you know this forward group as Flint's been saying, has had issues getting things going early. And I thought part of that was that one of their best scorers, one of their best players, their best forwards is hasn't been back, you know, and she's one of the forwards that will get into those good positions, make those great goals, great passes. Alina Mueller does it all, really. And without a player like that, it was hard for Northeastern to really sort of set up and reform their offensive identity without her. And I think... Obviously, they had some bumps in the road, but they've done a pretty good job, specifically Maureen Murphy, who has done a phenomenal job of stepping up. And that was something she had said to us after, I think it was the BU 3-0 victory. It was that, you know, with Mueller out, it was up to players to step up and start getting the scoring going and, you know, kind of fill in those gaps, play that offense, play to their identity. And Maureen was one of the ones who really stepped up and has proven just how great she is since Mueller's been gone. Yeah, and I think Flint's 
how he's going to do the line combinations going forward also something that's interesting to me just because you're right we talked to Maureen Murphy after that game at Merrimack Mm -hmm. and she was saying yeah she felt so much more comfortable when she was able to go onto that line that she was kind of more used to with Chloe Arar kind of them playing on the two wings and we saw in that game Arar getting an assist on Murphy's goal that was part of Murphy's insane stretch of goal scoring where she scored eight goals in three games and obviously like she was the one to carry the load but what Flint goes to now that Mueller comes back is also really interesting to me because on the one hand like you could do the line of Murphy Arar and Mueller together and like that could that could happen and that would be one of the most lethal lines you could possibly create mm-hmm. in a college hockey game but at the same time how do you value the depth? How do you value putting Murphy in a different position? So I do think it's interesting how Flint's going to adjust his team now that you have Mueller back and you have this weapon at center who's coming back to the lineup. Yeah, and that's something they're going to obviously going to want to consider going forward because, you know, you want Mueller on that top line. You want Mueller playing with Arar. Like, that's the dynamic duo right there. You want them together. And, you know, Flint had that idea with Murphy, Irving, and Mills, and although it was a bit slower on the offense that he liked, they were still a great cohesive unit, so I don't know if he thinks Murphy's going back there, if he's going to play Murphy with Arard Mueller and then push Noel to the second with Irving and Mills, but I think Flint's been shifting up the lines quite a bit, you know, just trying to see who fits, who produces the most, and it's, you know, it's I feel like it's not too much of a worry to him because, you know, he has the third and fourth lines who, even though the third and fourth lines still are producers, great on offense, great on the forecheck, great on backcheck, literally up and down the ice every time they're out there. And so it's like even if your top two lines, even if you're still working out some kinks or trying to get things together, you still have so much talent to fall back on. And I think Flint recognizes that. But it's just the issue of making sure that all of that is together, especially come playoff time. Yeah, and the other thing I'm really interested to see what happens when Mueller's reinstituting the lineup is how Flint constructs the power play. Mm-hmm. When, Mueller's, when Mueller was in the lineup, he was going to – um, a four forward, one defenseman um, power play construct. Yes. But once Mueller went out, Flint put Hobson and Fontaine, his top two defensive, his top defensive pairing, both on the power play, which I think was good to an extent, but you really just want Fontaine out there to be able to drive the offense. Like Brooke Hobson is obviously a great player, mm-hmm. but she's better in her role as kind of being the more conservative defender when you have Fontaine running it. And I think like the 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 premier, the best version of the Northeastern power play, which is a top five unit in the country, is when you have Fontaine and those four forwards around her and Fontaine leading the country in assists. Obviously yeah. she can dispense it around. She can be she can quarterback that power play. And I think that's the best version of this team when they're so lethal on special teams offensively. And that's what I think you want to get back to. But I am interested to see kind of how Flynn adjusts it because he's getting he's getting this queen on the chessboard back this week and how he kind of adjusts that because there's not really margin for error at this point in the season bringing her back. It's a weird time to get someone back. It's kind of like the uh, the lightning last year where you're all of a sudden just getting this top guy back. I mean, that was for, that was for different reasons. It was salary yeah. cap maneuvering. But either way, like you're getting this top-end talent back right as the postseason's starting. And it's a weird time to reintegrate someone, but given how good she is, obviously you'll take it. Yeah, definitely. And I think Mueller most likely won't have any issues with it, obviously. This is a team she's played with for so long, and so she's not going to have too much issues integrating, but it's just interesting to see, obviously, you mentioned the power play unit. I think putting Brooke Hobson on that that first unit there, you know, like you said, it's obviously not as lethal as having Lena Mueller there, having the full forwards around a dynamic Skylar Fontaine. But Hobson really did have her moments on that power play. I mean, she had some great assists in the first UConn game. She was great on the power play in the fifth UConn game. I mean, the second UConn game. Um, and I think she really had brought kind of more of a defensive standpoint to that power play, was able to make sure the puck stayed in the zone, was good at just making great passes, finding great places for her teammates to be. Um, and she was a valuable asset on that power play. And obviously, with Mueller back, she's probably going to be demoted. But still, I think the time that she had on that power play, she did a really good job with what she was given. Yeah, I mean, there's also other values. Like, yeah, it's a demotion in that sense. But there's other values. Like, Colin and I, we were at that game at UNH, and that was the game where they also didn't have – they had no Arar or Mueller. Yeah. And Fontaine and Hobson were both playing – 
on the power play. They've got extensive penalty kill minutes, and it's like Fontaine is asked to play, not only play all three phases, five on five, four on five, and five on four. She's not only asked to play all of those, but she's asked to be like the key piece in pretty much mm-hmm. stirring the pot in every single time. And, you know, Hobson can rise to that as well, but I think getting her maybe a little bit more time off, there was a few games. I remember Fontaine after that UNH game, like she was just exhausted. So I think yeah. it's also, you know, preserving your players, and they're going to have a week off here before this game coming up on Saturday night, which is good to get a little bit of rest after they've played a lot. They played three or four straight weeks where they've had weekday games in between the weekend sandwich between the weekend series. So it's good to get that as well. And I think heading into you know you got to be fresh heading into this time. Mm-hmm. And these are experienced players, but I just like I love the storyline of this team. Like this is this is it for them. I mean the roster being bare next year. There's nothing left. I mean there's there there's yeah, a lot learn, left. Murphy's gonna be <laughs> left. No, right? yeah, no. You learn a lot. You, you get. I was gonna people, say but, you keep a lot of good players, especially in Mueller, I mean, I mean, and Murphy. It's, it's as, Frankel. Maybe and, it'll be. Bare. But Phillips is there, it'll so like, yeah. Maybe yeah. two years it'll be bare. But I'd say year, two years. Losing, next year they I mean, have. You're losing a lot next year. There's, yeah. There's a lot of pieces here that you're not going to get back, and like this is the window for the next. I mean, they're going to be a really good team last next year, but like national championships. This is, is this is it. This is kind of like one. Maybe their closing window. You know, they could make a case for it next year, but this is their closing window. You're kind of right about that. I mean, we saw at the second UConn game, it was their senior day. They have 12 seniors graduating, which is. An insane number because a good majority of them obviously took the extra COVID eligibility year. Um, but, you know, they're losing so much. They're losing Fontaine, Frankel, Andrea Renner. Um, oh, my God, I have to go through the Hobson. list. They're losing Brooke Hobson. Yeah, Captain Sindoris. Brooke Hobson, Emma Javrusic, Michaela Sindoris, Jillian Foote, Lauren McInnes. They're losing a lot of players that are really good. Katie Sipra, Maddie Mills. Like, they are losing so much talent, and although they have a lot of talent to back it up, I mean, it it's going to be hard for next season just for them to make sure that they have all their pieces together, you know. And I really think this is the year they make the case for it. They were so close last season. They were so close they could taste the championship trophy, and it's just like they absolutely have the power to run it back. They have the squad that can run it back no problems. And I honestly, I'm looking forward to that more than the more than the hockey East tournament. Yeah, but I like I also think the hockey East tournament has to be a building stone for that. And you know, Colin and I were talking about yesterday. Like Vermont is a real threat in the championship game. I mean, BC will likely be the opponent in the quarterfinal, in the semifinal. We saw BC come in and beat Northeastern. They got goalied by. Um, Levy. They got goalied by Abby Levy, who just went in there and tore up the Huskies. The Huskies outshot BC 2-1 to one in that game. And Levy just came out and dominated that game. So there are a couple good goalies and in McPherson this conference. For Vermont and, of course, McPherson, we mm-hmm. saw her goalie, the Huskies. Like, it's not like this conference is going to be a cakewalk. It feels like it should yeah. be. You have Mueller back. You have the mojo. You have the best team. You're, but it's but not. Like, those eyes can't go right to the... Nationals, because we were, ta- as Dave Flint said a couple weeks ago, and we were talking to him, mm-hmm. you got to be worried about home ice advantage. Yeah, I mm-hmm. mean, you hope Matthews will have fans there, but even if there's not that many fans, playing on that home ice, getting that quarterfinal game at Matthews rather than you know having to go to Madison or somewhere across the country, that's you know it's it's a big advantage for your team, and that's what they have to play for here. Yes, they're going to be going to the tournament. Yes, they're huge favorites in every game, but you gotta also be worried about that, and that's something for them to think about and get motivated. By and I think Flint will use that for them in the Hockey East tournament. Definitely, and he has used it for just this last stretch of games as well. When we were talking to him after Merrimack, like you said, that same day that he had said that it was important to you know vie for home ice, he was like, "I'm I've been telling them treat every game like a playoff game. Every game has to be a playoff game. They have to battle. They have to come out. They have to play hard, play strong. Every game up until even through the Hockey East tournament, from just." the end of the bean pot that whole stretch every game's a playoff game you have to play it to your best and he's been pushing them definitely and they know that the hockey's championship is a motivator the ncaa stage is a motivator these are all key things goals that they have that they know they are going to have to battle to reach 
yeah, and at the end of the day, obviously, the goal is the NCAAs, but you got to get there and you got to put yourself in a better position to get to that point. I think they will. The depth has really been tested over the past few weeks, obviously, with some of the absences that they've had. It's But that depth is then going to have to come in. Skylar Irving, someone that kind of had a dry spell. She kind of hit a wall. Obviously, like she's younger than pretty much this entire team. But I think getting her back and getting better players playing alongside Irving can also make a difference. She played so much this season with Mills and Murphy on her wings. Mm-hmm, and, who are two already dynamic players. Right, you know? but then, well, all of a sudden now you have no Mueller. Murphy slides up and now Irving's kind of on the island and she has to make more happen. And it's like when you get the depth back, when you get that top-end talent back in Mueller, it reverberates across the entire line of Peyton Anderson, someone that has played with pretty much each every line. line with every line, every with line. everyone on this roster this season. But having her kind of to use across the board, like there's a lot of depth that slides back into place when Mueller comes back and it, it reverberates across the entire offense then defensively you expect I mean with the exception of senior day when Jillian Foote got back in those top three the top three defensive pairings have been pretty much identical for the entirety of the second semester and that's continuity that's huge the I mean the that third line defensive pairing like Mariano has been great she's making great plays like that third line has been big it's been a big death piece and something that Flint can kind of fall back on and having that continuity defensively is I mean it's really actually true with both our men's and women's team, which is that you know the coaches have kind of floated around the lines offensively a bunch, but defensively there's been, been so solid. much consistency in the pairings. Yeah, and it's been really helpful for making sure they stay on their game and they play solid. I mean that Fontaine and Hobson pairing never broken up. You know they played together every game, every chance they get. And you see the impact of that because the Fontaine-Hobson pairing is arguably the best defensive pairing in Hockey East and in the country. Those two are so solid together because they play so much together. And like you said, the Jovic and Mariano pairing, they have gotten so much time together and they have both formed and become great defenders in their own right. But when they work together, it's so, so nice. And it feels like e- like they can pick up each other's slack where if Jovic is having an off night, Mariano has a really great boost. Or if Mariano's having an off night, Jovic really comes alive. They're able to feed off of each other, which is important, and that's something that continuity really helps with. Yeah, it's huge, and this team is going to ride that in. Obviously, you're you're going Frankel the rest of the way. Uh, yeah. Good run for it. But, you know, you have Phillips in case, in I case will something say, happens. But. I will say, I I. You know, going Frank all the way, obviously, is probably what Flint's going to do. But I think against this Merrimack team, he if he wants to take an opportunity to, you know, let Frankel have a rest and put Phillips in against Merrimack, that's probably the yeah. one of the only times you're really going to get to do it. He's, he's playing with fire there, though. I mean, you're, the worst case scenario is you don't want to play the backup and then something goes wrong. I mean, like, Frankel, yeah. like, this is all she's got. I mean, she'll she'll probably hopefully find find a landing spot next year somewhere professionally as one of the best goal, goalies in the world. But this is, I mean, this is this is the peak for Frankel. This is her time. She's She came back a fifth year. They all came back a fifth year. But Frankel, like, she came back for this moment. This is her time. This is, there's a lot of pressure on her riding on her because mm-hmm. the expectations, the bar, she said a 960 save percentage, that, like, coming off, obviously, winning. <laughs> Unreal. You know, the best player in the country, you know, there's a lot riding for Frankel, and she's got to deliver. She has delivered. She hasn't seen a lot of shots this season. And when she has, she stepped up for the most part. But there's a lot of pressure on her coming into this when you yeah. built up everything. And, and that's what she wants. That's what she's here for. But it's a lot coming to her. But I think Flint's just going to ride her home. Yeah, I, I think she will. But, I mean, I think Flint will. But I think Frankel's also, she's someone who rises to the occasion, especially. Absolutely. And, and it's, even if Flint plays her so every game from here on out she's going to go out there and play it with her heart on the ice and that's admirable and that's something you want in your goaltender you know cocky coaches say all the time their goaltender is the backbone of their team you want to have confidence in your goaltender so that everyone else in front of you plays their hardest and it is no doubt in my mind that that team has so much confidence in Frankel that Frankel can easily rise up to the occasion and even if she feels overworked can still push herself through it, but I, I do hope she doesn't get overworked, and I do hope Flint, util- if he needs to utilize Phillips, will. 
Yeah, well, I mean, it's also the structure of both the Hockey East tournament that you have a little bit of time off, at least a few days, and yeah. then the Nationals. The Nationals. Never, there won't be back-to-backs the rest of the season. Mm-hmm, which is which team. is lucky. Yeah. Which is good for them. Which they is, get a lot of rest. Yeah, which is how the postseason structure is and how it should be. You want to get your best players out there, so there's not going to be an issue like that. So, yeah. uh, like, I think this team this team's in good shape right now. Yes, there was a little bit of a scare. I mean, you don't want to be an OT with UConn, but, you, I mean, UConn's one of the better teams in this hockey's conference, mm-hmm. but you don't want to be close with them. You didn't want to be. They were they were in tight with UNH earlier this week. So yeah, they've they haven't quite. There've been flashes, obviously that UConn game at um at home. Like there've been flashes of when this team has looked as dominant as they were earlier in the season. But without Mueller, it was hard to gain that consistency. But they're not going to have a you know readjustment period. I mean, you know the Merrimack. That's a game. Obviously, it yeah. would be a huge upset if they lose. But but there's high stakes in that game. Mm-hmm. And like you said, UConn is one of the best teams in the conference, really. Arguably, like even if the standings don't show it, they are such a strong team, yeah. and they play hard every chance they get. And I mean, the Wabic Twins. When we, Mike and I were watching the Wabic Twins in stores, it was insane. Those two are dynamic, amazing. Sabrina Carpentier Yell was great in net, and really, I think obviously they redeemed themselves in the second game with that shutout, the five zero, the five nothing senior day victory. But you know, you you're right that you don't want to go close with teams like that that you know you have over them and I mean it was weird because especially in that very close game after they tied regulation and they went to the 3v3 overtime that 3v3 overtime was all northeastern it was all northeastern really um they got all almost all of the shots on goal during that five minute 3v3 and they kept the zone almost that entire time and so you know that this team has the talent Compared to other teams, they have this talent that's just booming and unreal. And it's like when, you, when you're playing a regulation game, when you're playing five-on-five, five, you have to make sure that that talent shines. And you don't let, obviously, things like that UConn game happen. And I, I have hope, obviously, for this postseason, this ter- the tournament in particular, that they're not going to have too many issues. I think the Merrimack game, obviously, we expect them to come out of that one cleanly. Um and then it really is up to who they play next, which goes into my next point because I wanted to do just a little bit of predictions for this hockey tournament. Obviously, we have, for Northeastern in particular, it's just the quarterfinal, the semifinal, and championship because they have the bye. And then we had the first, I think they were, yeah, were they the qualifiers? Yeah. The players, yeah. We had the plans that happened. And I just want to know what you guys think. Well, I think I think it's Northeastern's draw will be they're going to play BC in the semifinals, and then they're going to play Vermont in the finals. I think that's pretty clear. I would say those are probably, as they're playing right now, mm-hmm. the two best teams in Hockey East outside of the Huskies. And BC, like, that team can put up a fight. They're a really top-heavy team. They run out with just a line of Brown, Bilk, and Newhook. That's all they have offensively. Mm-hmm. But those but three strong. make chaos happen. They really, like... Both times we saw that team play in person, they worked Northeastern defensively, and they only need one or two goals. And that team with Levy, Levy's, you know, in a similar situation. I mean, obviously, so significantly less celebrated than Frankel ever was, but you know, Levy transferring after two years, she's only this is only her second season at BC, but you know, she's been probably the most impressive goalie in the country, and that. I mean, maybe includes Frankel. I mean, Frankel's save percentage is so ridiculous. But, yeah. you know, Levy's seeing twice as many shots as Frankel this season. So it's hard to quantify. But she's just as impressive. And, like, she's playing out her senior season, too. And they're going to come in tough. And then Vermont, I know Colin's big on the Vermont hype train. Well, Vermont has been coming in hot. I mean, if we want to talk about it, they just sweeped the Hockey East Awards, like postseason awards, really. Um, uh, Pula and LaBelle got chair defender of the year with Skylar Fontaine. Reasonable, reasonable, yeah. Um, Skylar Fontaine's third in a row, by the way. Her third year getting that award. Um, and I'm pretty sure Holmes got, Abigail Holmes got an award. Um, I'm trying to remember exactly. I, I can pull it up right now. But, you know, they really, they really came out. Cause they went on that tear and they didn't stop. And, yeah, I have them here. Teresa Shepzal, the hockey scoring champion with 39 overall points, 21 goals, 18 assists. Like I said, Maude Poulin LaBelle, best defenseman award. Alyssa Holmes, best defensive forward. And 
they were the team that really trumped the award season, which is surprising considering they weren't too great in the first half of the year, yeah, but I mean, then they went on a hot streak and yeah, haven't you stopped. You also can have some, some voter fatigue with the Huskies. They've been around for so long. <laughs> Just it's a like, little bit of voter fatigue. Yeah, you know, a little voter fatigue. Maybe people are bored of their success. But Vermont's a good story. You're right. They weren't as yeah. good in the first half, but we saw them give Northeastern a good match. We've seen pretty much across the board. This has been, they've been an impressive team. So I do think Northeastern will likely see them in the finals. Um, them, or, them or Boston yeah. College, yeah. Uh, Cratch Calculator gives them a 28% chance of beating the Huskies mm. in that game. And, you know, I think that's about right. But that yeah. is a much better chance than I would give anyone else against Northeastern. So Definitely. And if we want to talk about the tournament that's happened so far, obviously the opening round happened. Merrimack beat New Hampshire, which... I was a little surprised about, but New Hampshire also hasn't been too good, and neither is Merrimack. But I, I don't know. I just I don't know if I expected that to come out of that. And obviously, Providence beat Holy Cross. I expected that. I think we all. I think expected we all that. expected that. <laughs> but yeah, no, the Merrimack New Hampshire game. I'd be surprised. Merrimack really came out swinging. They won that one four one, in Durham, and I don't. They were the lower seed compared to New Hampshire, and they really kind of just toppled them. Yeah, that was that was an impressive showing. I mean, Mer- Merrimack got that. You, when I think of Merrimack, that one game just sticks in my mind. Of that, what was eight nothing? That was just like, oh my god, this team. That was the very beginning of the second semester. Was the second game of the second semester that first weekend? You're just like, oh that my fight, god, yeah. this team is just wild right now. Mm-hmm. But I, I always think of that game. But listen, Merrimack, you know they put up better competitions. They played a couple really good periods at Lawler a couple weeks ago against the Huskies. So yeah, but. You know, there's there's reasons to think this game could be slightly close, but more, more likely, Alina Mueller, what does she have, 1.7 points per 1. game? 1.9. 1.9. 9. I mean, Good nine. Lord. I think 27 points in, like, 16 yeah, games. Yeah, she hasn't played that many games. Like, or 29 points in 16 games. It's almost insane. Yeah. And she, I think she's third on the team, or third or fourth on the team for, so, for a goal. Yeah, like, for all the talk about... Right, what, you know, bring her back, all the discussions we just had. 1.81 points per game. Yeah. Oh, still, so you crazy. Know, for all those conversations Most in the, about... In the, in the country. Yeah, obviously. I mean, for, for all the talk, like, putting her back in the lineup, what's going to happen, whatever. At the end of the day, she's probably just going to go and she's going to get two points. Mm-hmm. And Northeastern will cruise to this win. But, as I said, you can't look ahead. You lose to Merrimack, you are certainly not getting a... Home ice advantage in the NCAA is because <laughs> oh, those not. top four seeds are competitive right now. And the other top teams in the country, like, they have footholds, you know, Wisconsin, Already in Minnesota, NCAA, yeah. Harvard. Those other top teams, they're they're formidable. So, you mm-hmm. know, they're going to keep winning in these conference tournaments. So you got to keep pace with them. So there is stuff on the line for the Huskies. I mean, you know, they can overcome it if they don't get it. But... But it's it's big for them, so I'm I'm excited to see what happens this weekend. Definitely, and I have one last little thing I want to talk about because um, predictions we really don't have to because obviously the next games are Maine at Boston College. Boston College pulls that one out. Providence of Vermont, Vermont probably pulls that one out. But the UConn at BU game is the one that I'm That's really eyeing because that is going to be a very tough matchup, probably a very entertaining matchup at that. Those are two strong teams, two teams that like to battle, that like to play physical. Like that is probably the most. I guess, interesting match out of the quarterfinals there. And I, I want to know your thoughts. I know you guys do talk about BU just a little bit on the Bean Pod, so if you have any particular I'm, thoughts. I'm I'm pro BU here. I think they're going to come out, get this win. I got, you know, Courtney Korea, she'll, she'll score. Korea, I think this so team good. wins. I mean, BU gave Northeastern a run. We saw... Um, a couple weeks ago. I mean, they played Northeastern tight a couple times. They played yeah. them tight. They played them tight. Wally B. That game, Mueller was out as well. Yeah. But even even then, like, they, they play, they've played Northeastern tight before. They yeah. are able to bring the competition. So, yeah. So, I think I think BU is going to come out with that win. Um, and I think that they're going to end up playing Vermont. And, I mean, like, UConn could be good, too. That's a, that is the best game. of the, I think the other yeah. games should all chalk. I mean, Maine is solid, too, but I think BC, they're playing well right now. BC's uh, playing too well to drop yeah, to Maine, in my on, opinion. New Hook's on a tear again. I mean, all those, like, they're really, really good. I think BC chalks, and I think that's that's the toss-up game. I like B, I like BU in that game, but it can go either way. But it can way. go either way, yeah. And I think Vermont beats whoever wins that game, though. I, I don't know. See, the thing is, you say that, but Providence, although Providence hasn't been the best offensively, they still have Abstrider. And if Abstrider decides she wants to go out there and have, like, a 60-save yeah. game, there's nothing Vermont can do about yes. that. Because she's Sandra, had a bit of a down year, but yeah, she's She's really had a bit good. of a down year, but Sandra Abstrider, one of my favorite goaltenders in Hockey East, outside, besides from Aaron Fankel and outside of Lauren Porter, Sandra, Sandra Abstrider is so oh, good. Gwyneth Phillips. Okay, 
I mean, starting goaltenders. Okay. Sorry, Gwyneth Phillips, that will be you next year, by the way. We love you. Um, but, yeah, I mean, if Sandra Abstrider decides she wants to go out and have herself a game, it might be really tough for Vermont to convert because when she's on fire, she's on fire. Yeah, for sure. So I think it's gonna be it's gonna be interesting that game. Yeah, you're right. Abstrader, like she could carry them, but I think I think BU comes out with that one. I th- I yeah, think, I think Vermont comes out over Providence. Yeah. BU over UConn probably. Obviously Northeastern over Merrimack. Fingers crossed because that would be very bad upset. But that would um, be quite that would be quite that'd a be, wild one. That'd be quite a story, I think. But we hope it does not happen. Um, and I mean, I think that's all for women's hockey. Really, do we have any closing thoughts? No, not much. I think Northeastern, right. they should win this one, but you can't sleepwalk into it. You don't want it to be like all of a sudden Merrimack scores first 11 minutes at it, and then you're like, what's going on here? Like, yeah. just, just avoid that. Just yeah. live to see another day. Get ready for BC. They they should win this tournament. If they We're talking about the hypotheticals just because I think we we're, we cover them so in, like so much, and we expect so highly of them that when they're winning slightly close games we say what is going wrong but i think at the end of the day this this team is a freight train they should win and even the games that they've lost they've been close none of them have been mueller hasn't lost a game this season when she's been in the lineup so this team they should win and you know it's easy to scrutinize parts of it but this team those top two lines those top two defensive pairings they're the best they're as good if not the best in the country they should win this one um they should win the tournament pretty handily i hope and i think yeah, and I I agree with you. And on that note, we're going to take you to some PSAs. When we get back, we're going to talk about the men. You've been listening to WRB Sports. Keep it locked and loaded. This league, is, you know, things change in, in, in an instant. Sequeira snipes from the left circle, and that's his first goal of the year. Good evening. You're listening to WRBB 104.9, your home for Husky sports. Back with hockey this week, as usual. Now we're going to talk about men's hockey because the regular season for the men isn't over yet. They still have two games in hand. The men in particular have a home-and-home against Merrimack. Um, Well, no, they have more games in hand. My bad. They have five games in hand. I forgot how long the season is. They have a home-and-home against UConn first game against Vermont, and then a home-home against Merrimack. All of which I think are pretty crucial to making sure they get points that they need in the hockey standings. Right now they're at five. Merrimack and UConn both are in front of them. And if they're able to come out and beat, at least split UConn and beat Merrimack, they may be in a really good position. Well, you got two factors at work here. You have the, you have the hockey East, obviously, but you also pairwise, and oh, that's yeah. something that at this time of season, like we don't really need to talk about with the Northeastern's women's team because they're so they're beyond good, in the tournament that it's not even like the bubble isn't even a thing. They're so far but the inside men. the bubble that it's not even they're not on it. Northeastern is squarely on the bubble, and if any, like right now they're bubble out there with yeah. work to do. They're eighteen. They're, they're 18, eighteen, tied yeah. for eighteen with Providence. And you ideally need to get to 13, 14 to yeah, really so secure yourself a bid. I I did the uh the the number thing on on the thing. Oh, the pairwise calculator. Yeah. So yeah. if if they sweep, they're up to fourteen. I was gonna um, say because BU's at fourteen UConn right now. is down to nineteen. So ideally, okay. you get a sweep. If I mean, obviously, ideally, you get a sweep. But I mean, they got they got Levi coming back. But we we were talking about this um, uh, yesterday. Like Levi hasn't seen game action in a month because yeah. obviously in the Olympics he wasn't really he was playing. So it, do you, do you put Sempton Felther out there for the second leg of the back to back? I think it's an interesting question against UConn. I I feel like I'd be more comfortable putting Sempton Felter out for the first leg. Really, I think. Because UConn especially is a very strong team at home. They're a very strong team in Matthews as well, but they're also a very strong team at home. Um, I feel like if, you, if you're if you assessing which match would be tougher, that's the one you put out Levi. You put Levi for the tougher one, and but you split it with Semptonfelter because Semptonfelter obviously has been playing, has his groove back. I, I know Levi's back has been practicing with the team, but still it's not you know the same as being thrust into the game environment immediately. Um it's an afternoon game after a night game. Yeah. Right. Okay. Yeah. I, I, yeah, I know. I, I was asking. Yeah, it is, which is kind of weird. But I think it, it's, I don't know. I, I know Keith's going to want to trust that Levi is ready and raring to go. But I, I do think he has to exercise some caution. Obviously, like you said, Levi has not played. I think it's interesting with TJ, like, what do you do with him at this point? Because I feel like, on one hand, the best-case scenario is that 
TJ doesn't play again because Levi's so sharp and so ready to go that you have him in net. But on the other hand, it's like he was so good that you you want to see him back on the ice. But Levi, I mean, when Levi's in net, Levi is he's the guy. Yeah, it goes without saying. But I think that third, like that's a quick turnaround. We were talking about that yesterday. It's a you know twenty hour turnaround Mm -hmm. in between games. I mean, it's start to end less. It's you know seventeen eighteen hours plus the two hour bus ride down at UConn in between games. It's a really quick turnaround. The three o'clock game is probably just because XL Center constraints, UConn plays a lot of their men's, women's basketball and men's hockey, and they also have an AHL team and like concerts and whatever. So XL Center is just like booked XL up. XL Center the has room. everything. Books, uh, XL Center is like booked up the roof. So they, except the women's hockey team. Yeah, yeah except they play at the glorified like, practice bye. facility. Yeah, whatever. But, but yes, uh, next year they'll be opening a. A new Six, $60 a million new... dollar on-campus arena. That yeah. looks very nice. But for this year, they're still at XL Center, which is why they do tend to not play at always prime time. But I think it's going to be... It's going to be a good game. It's a it's a huge se- weekend series. I mean, Colin just mentioned the pairwise implications. Ray, you mentioned before the implications in the hockey East standings, getting to that top four, getting that bye in the first round. It's huge for this team. They got to win probably four or five, realistically, to be in contention for an at-large bid when we get around to the hockey East tournament. And winning four or five, like it sounds like, oh, that must be simple because it's, it's, whatever it's plausible, it's, it's but, plausible. But there's it's not some likely. challenges there. Obviously, we're gonna I, we're gonna recap the BC game just very quickly, um, right after I say this. But I mean, UConn. See, UConn is the one series I'm worried about. Obviously, in this five game stretch, like these are the the UConn series is what I'm most worried about because I feel like Northeastern, if they play their best, can beat Merrimack, can beat Vermont. But UConn is a team. That came into Matthews and absolute and kind of swept the floor with Northeastern. That's something that they seem to do in Matthews very well. I don't know. It's like they touch down in Boston and they're like superstar, like all star athletes. But um, this UConn team has always been very tough, a very tough matchup for Northeastern, especially because this UConn team is very big in size and very fast, which sometimes Northeastern falls behind on um and i want to touch on that right after but we do have to recap the bc game because there were games my bad forgot to say that there were games um and we can talk about the skating strides night very sparsely because it wasn't the best showing from northeastern you know bc really they got their u.s olympians back and kind of took it to northeastern northeastern wasn't prepared um mark mclaughlin one of the olympians got on the board Obviously, Drew Hellis, another another U.S. Olympian, came back, was pretty good in that game as well. And Northeastern really could not keep up, and it was it was pretty bad. Yeah, it was it was ugly at times on that Friday night game. But I think you know after the game, Keith was just saying like, "Listen, we all got to be better. Coaches got to be better. Players got to be better. We it's on us to figure this out. Time's ticking down." And what they did twenty four hours later was in, just incredible in terms of how this team was just able to rebound in such a short period of time. Like, their back was against the wall. You lose that game at Conti in regulation, all of a sudden that pairwise number is going farther down. The hockey, just, like, they, they, that was a must-win game. You said it was a postseason-like game, and that's not yeah. hyperbole. It really was. It really did feel like it. one. And, I mean, out, outside of the fact that it was just important for standings implications, I mean, this means the Conti curse is broken because Northeastern has not won in Conti forum since... What was it, 2017, uh, yeah, 2018? Yeah, it was 2017. Since yeah. 2017, Northeastern men's hockey team has not won a Conti Forum. They have not pulled out a victory, and the Conti curse is officially broken. Like, I I feel like that was that felt like an like joy for me, really, because I've obviously witnessed some ugly losses at that Conti Forum, and finally they were able to go out there, battle, pull out a win in an arena that they literally have, I don't think anyone... That's currently on this team has won in before. So got to feel a little bit good about that. But, yeah, yeah no, them pulling out that 4-1 victory was especially good for Sandings and Parawise. And it was a game that they had to win, and they played like they knew they had to win it. Yeah, they did. They were checking hard, and it really came back to. We were talking about this on the broadcast. It came back to the penalty kill. You mentioned on the broadcast, Jakob Novak. He was Novak. He was awesome on the kill. Miller and Harris played great on that PK one, blocking shots. I thought Miller was getting in front of everything. He he was in the bunker for. Yeah, we called him the bunker for a reason. He really was getting in front of everything. I like. I feel like that's what you want to see. 
especially from like one of your heavier set defensemen who is known for blocking and getting in front of shots like that, seeing him literally stick his whole entire body out often on many shifts on that PK was great. That's what you want. That's the kind of energy, that's the kind of play you want to see from him. Yeah, and, and the other thing that I thought, and I mentioned this to Colin yesterday, like that, I mean, TJ... There were bigger moments, of course, like the end of that that game. There wasn't that much going on. It was a, Northeastern was coasting to win those last five minutes. But when Jed York went, Jed, Jed York, Jerry York, Jed is the, I believe, owner of the 49ers. Jerry York went to um, six on four there. He pulled the goalie with about three and a half minutes mm-hmm. to go. And there was just, Which they could insane. not get the puck out of the zone. It was like shot was after shot messy. after shot. It was crazy. It was messy. TJ was flopping all over the place. It was like, what is going on here? <laughs> you know, it was really messy. Yeah. And there were a couple of opportunities where BC, had they had had their heads been screwed on just a little bit tighter, they would have been able to easily yeah. poke that puck past. I have no idea how they didn't oh score Oh, my that. God. The, the shot that they made where TJ made the initial save, the rebound came out, and then... It looked like another shot came in, and it kind of was right in front of the line. And I forget which defender it was. I think actually, I don't think it was a defender. I think Novak was the one who turned around and just scooped it out. Like, like it was so close to just being poked over and that the line. That unit was on the ice forever. They couldn't get yeah, to the bench. They couldn't get a change either, which was yeah. the worst. Yeah. Like they were out there, tired legs, whatever, and they had to still push hard hard to make sure that they close that one out and why and like why i bring that up is not because the the, the game was in doubt sure bu could bc could have scored on that six on four it would have been four two nothing would have happened northeastern was winning the game at that point but it's symbolic i think of how cohesive that man that um four on five unit was unit playing was all so game good. how good tj was under pressure under chaos B, B, BC had a lot of high danger shots in that game ambrosio rung the inside of the post uh, the whole crowd went to their feet thinking they scored. I think I made a goal call and then had to walk it back. You know, mm-hmm. like, it looked like that shot was yeah. in. But there was a few of those times where Ambrosio, like, you know, Kuntar, they had good, they had looks, some really good looks in that game. I mean, there was the goal. Obviously, McLaughlin's goal was scored initially, and then was taken off the board. So BC was teetering. They could have easily had three, four goals in that game. But you got to credit the penalty kill. you got to credit TJ. And, you know, sometimes you get a little lucky, too. And yeah. I think that's what the Huskies needed, and now they can kind of – Bring that forward into this weekend. Definitely. And, I mean, this penalty kill has been dynamic all year, and I feel like the BC game is just an, a, a special, like an even more special moment, a special showing of just how strong when they're cohesive. That penalty kill unit is unparalleled. They are third in the country with a 90% penalty, penalty kill percentage. They've only let their opponent score nine goals on the power play versus 97 power play attempts on the opponent so that's you know that's admirable that's great and that was just right there like especially in that bc game that was just a showing of how strong their penalty kill unit is when they all work together and it seemed like the lines like the i know keith had been shifting lines around trying to see what fit and finally finally things fit my god putting ty jackson on with Aiden mcdonough and gunner fontaine is probably the best thing he's ever done yeah well, that was just a great line and yeah. we talked about that during the game too. How when he shifted the lines, it seemed like it seemed like everything kind of clicked. Really, that third line, especially, we talked about on the broadcast a lot. The Hughes Novak and Demelis line, we talked about a lot. We obviously talked about Fontaine, Jackson, and McDonough, but it was like he constructed these lines that really seemed to kind of bring the best out of every player out there. Yeah, I mean, it sounds like, like, in theory, it sounds really fun to put Jack Hughes on that line with McDonough, with even Colangelo, potentially. But what you need in that role is someone to set the other guys up with Rizkovi and out. That's what he does best. He puts the other guys in position to succeed. He's able to be physical with the puck in the middle. And that's not Jack Hughes' game. Jack Hughes is finesse. Jack Hughes' hands, his hands are nuts. But, you know, like, that's Hughes' game. That doesn't necessarily mesh best when you're trying to put McDonough, when you're trying to put Colangelo in positions to score. That line was great. The Fontaine, like Fontaine, I think Fontaine and Jackson, you know, Keith actually, if you notice, he often tries to keep those two together on the same line. And I think it's they play well together. It's for good reason. They play well together with McDonough. That line worked really well. I'm curious what you guys think about in general, because Keith kind of tinkered with it um, over the past couple weeks of putting Colangelo and McDonough. Obviously, they operate together on the power play, Mm -hmm. but putting them on the same line, what do you you guys think about that? Yeah, I noticed a couple games where they played together and. You know, the thing is, they were they 
play well on the same line, but only when their centerpiece works well with the both of them. That's, like, the key thing I've noticed. I feel like they can be really great online together. They can be two great lethal snipers from both face-off dots, really. And I think the the problem lies when they don't have that great centerpiece. And I don't know if Keith tried Jackson and Colangelo McDonald together. I don't remember if he did. But I feel like... I, I don't know if that's something he's going to want to try going forward. But... I will say the, those two play on a line really well together, but the both of them, the the way the both of them play, it's dependent on their centerpiece. I mean, when they played on the line together, they were playing with Justin Ritzkovian, who set them up left and right, you know, and without Ritzkovian obviously trying to find that center balance, it, it's been hard. And so I think that's why Keefe has opted not to play those two together again, because I feel like that would, without the set, the prime centerpiece, there's not a lot of production there. Rizkovi is, is he's just a huge loss. He's, he he's really a, is. It's a, it's a devastating loss for the team, and week to week doesn't exactly sound encouraging. Because I feel like it if it was like one week, Keith would be like, oh, we're hoping to get it back next week. Two weeks, like, yeah, yeah like maybe next week, week, maybe the week. week after. Like, week to week is not the best case of what you want him to say. That was pretty much, other than saying season ending. That's, like, yeah, pretty you, much the worst-case scenario. It doesn't sound like he's, like, about to. I mean, listen, if he's on the lineup on Friday, UConn tomorrow, I'll be, like, awesome. But it doesn't seem like that's probably likely. Yeah, and that's not something you want to hear with five games left and then playoffs right after. No. Like, obviously, there's just a, there's a bit of time. You know, their last game is on the 5th of March. And so there's still a bit of time for Ritzkovia to hopefully get healthy, but I don't think he's going to be ready for any of these games down the stretch. And so it's going to be... A challenge for Northeastern to really make sure that they have their pieces together and are able to work as well as they did in the BC game down the stretch. Yeah, for sure. It's gonna be they're gonna have to play. It's a huge weekend coming up against UConn. They, you gotta get you gotta get three points here at minimum. Yeah, I feel like they have to at least. Pl- I I I assume they're going to split this series because there's no way they sweep UConn because UConn is just really that good and especially against Northeastern they really are just their foil like they. Northeastern has never really been able to battle UConn well. Um, so I'm expecting this to be a split. Hopefully, then that's that's like hopefully because Northeastern's going to have to really bring out all of their energy, going to have to really exert their energy, all of their energy in one game in order to really pull it out over UConn. And then they're still going to have the other game to play. And so it's like, it's going to be tough. It's It's a huge, huge game. Um, that goes without saying, but like it's they got to win, and then the Vermont game next Tuesday. Yeah, you got three games in five days. It's it's a huge huge sequence. I think you know three games in five days. Like TJ, maybe he plays one. Like the Saturday game is the logical one, but I also think that very much depends on the result tomorrow night. Whether if it's a win, loss, does Levi look good? Does he look bad? But I think mm-hmm. just like having him on the ice got to give a huge jolt to this team. TJ obviously is. I mean, there's a couple games where maybe Levi wouldn't play better, but there's a lot of games where you just go out. It's like. I don't know yeah, what else I mean, Levi would have done that was that much different, but I think yeah. having that guy back on your team, having the best goalie in the country come back to your roster gives you a confidence boost. It gives the defense a confidence boost. And, you know, this defense has been up and down in Levi's absence. There's been times when it's, like, really good. There's been times oh, there's where, a lot of Harris, where like, Harris <laughs> has been like, oh, come on. Like, Bushler's had a couple games where you're just like, all right. I mean, and the other thing is the – um. Third defensive pair, and you know Julian Kisslin. What's his status? Yeah, that's another thing we we have to really consider. Like, what's going on with Julian Kisslin? Like, the the lack of Julian Kisslin has been pretty evident. I mean, he him and Spot play well together. That's the shorter of the D pair of the three D pairings. The three main D pairings. Those two play together a lot, and they were well. And obviously, Kisslin hasn't been playing, and it, it's it's been a loss definitely because there have been some really weird defensive moments on that third pairing where you're like, uh, you know, Kisslin would have played that a little bit better. Yeah. And but, it's also, I mean, they played, like, the other defenders have been getting, I mean, obviously they don't track ice time in college hockey, but the other defenders, I think, have been getting more time on the ice because of it. Because and, of, yeah, and they've mixed par- in, And they've mixed in spot playing a shift with Harris mm-hmm. or something like that yeah. where they've been sort of playing five-and-a-half defenders. 
Um, and that's not where you want to be as a team. Yeah. You want to be able to – they're much more complete on the back of defensively. That third line, there was especially a stretch in early January, early mid-January where that, that line of line spot and kissing really, was really, really good. thumping and, like, not having that. So this team doesn't is not fully healthy. Yeah, you get Levi back, but not having Rich Kobe, not having Kisslin, those are not the headliners of this team, but they're impactful pieces that make a big difference when they're gone, and mm-hmm. it's felt across the lineup. Yeah. You're right. They are two very impactful players that are felt across the ice. I mean, Kislin, obviously, it's been it's been like you said, it's been great with Spot. That deep pairing has had their moments where you just like, whoa, like they've just had really great games, really great stretches. I mean, in the game where Kislin got his first goal, that was really great. Like they played really well that night. Um, and yeah, obviously, the lack of Ritzkovian has really kind of made Northeastern suffer on the offensive, and. So it's going to be important to see how they're able to put things together going forward because, you know, it's the five games and that's it. And you want to make sure that you're healthy come playoff time. There's no guarantee that either of them are going to be healthy come playoff time. But you want to cross your fingers because you want that cohesion back. You want the lines that you're used to, the lines that are that are going, that play really well together. You want that back. You want that rhythm back. And I don't know. It, it's worrisome because obviously this is a good team. This is not like this is a, a bad team and they have no shot of really making a case for the championship. This is a really good team. But I think it's just that – and this is something that they've had issues with that's always plagued them. Their injury troubles, just never having everybody ready at once has, like, messed them up more times than I can count. And – I feel like right now is when it needs to, when everything needs to come together. And the fact that not all of them are healthy, it just, it worries yeah. me. This is not the best this team has played this season coming into this. Mm-hmm. I mean, frankly, this team's, like, like being being quite blunt, like, this team is not as good as their record is. Um, but that doesn't mean they can't turn into a team that reflects that level of record. Um they have if they look like they did in that game in BC, and this team, by the way, is still undefeated in games they've outshot the opponent this season, mm-hmm. and that's a telling stat because if they can just drive shots to the net, it's been a real struggle. They just cannot find get shots on goal. It's one of their it's their real weakness. You just got to maintain time in the offensive zone, and and it comes down to consistency of those depth pairings. That's really where that number shows. Yes, McDonough can get shots on goal. He can shoot a twenty plus percent clip. It's the rest of the team that really has to step up the depth behind him, and that and like that's what we're gonna see over the next a uh, couple weeks it's it's make your break time for this team are they going to make the tournament i mean is you wouldn't say it's like the most likely but they they absolutely can they absolutely could make so the tournament. it's just yeah. you know coming up now this weekend i think we're gonna have a much better picture of who this team is i mean now if they split and it's the exact same as last weekend we're not gonna know anything more but if they come out this weekend they can get like we're this is a defining weekend i mean I think, it's this is the point of the season is this is go time you you don't have margin for error i think I, I don't know. I feel like I disagree with that. I feel like if they split this series, they are they are a lot better off than I think they are. Because, like I've been, I feel like I've been repeating myself that UConn is a team that plays Northeastern to a T. Like they don't let Northeastern breathe when they play Northeastern. I feel like if they can pull out a win in this series, I that I feel like they're better off. Obviously, it's not ideal. You want them to sweep. Yeah. But they are better off than you yeah. think they are. I mean, the, like the reason why I say that is fundamentally. The Northeastern has to beat good teams. They have not beaten. Who's the best team they beat? Lowell this and Lowell. That one and Lowell, game. Lowell. Lowell's number one. Yeah, that so. at Lowell game is the only game you can point to with a regulation win against a good team. It just hasn't yeah. happened the rest of the season. They had a close game against UMass on the road. They beat BU in overtime at Aganis, but that was kind of like. Um, I mean, B wasn't good yeah. then. They were still injured. So that, that Lowell game, that's the only time they beaten a good team regulation. And if this team wants to make the tournament, if this team wants to compete with the better teams, you can't settle for like, oh, this is a really good team we're playing against, so it's a split. Like, If you want to be considered a team that's tournament caliber, you have to beat Coach good teams. Initial save made by Caden Primo, and he stops the second one as well. Great job there by Caden Primo.